or doing a major's job. And when I was leaving, I was ripping out the, the J2 or the G2 that we were, the, the division, it was our like higher boss said to had me and another major who was my replacement he said hey dave everybody here at division knew that brian was in command all year meaning i was the the battalion commander and i almost wept just like he's like we all knew he was in he was in command so you might want to listen to him and so the reason i paused when you said that is because i felt like i carried that Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Brian Nelson. Brian, we're going to keep talking about some of the really the tough parts of the intelligence community and the special operations community and stuff. But before we dive into that heavy stuff, I want to plug your event again, your charity event. And for anybody who maybe missed part one, tell us the name of the charity, the website for for the race here, and then I've got a question for you. Great. Okay, so the name of the charity is called Kindred Souls Foundation, and it's just kindredsoulsfoundation.org. And then our race that supports it's called Unleashed at Stadium Bowl. Uh, we race up and down the stairs at Stadium High School, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, and that website is, but this is going to be virtual, so any stairs, our website is unleashedatstadiumbowl.org okay. for the race. So Great. I'm thinking about something you just said at the end of part one that, that I really enjoyed. You know, I think about why is it that we all like, okay, maybe everyone, maybe a lot, a lot of folks are a better human being than me. Why is it, Brian, you're going to psychoanalyze me. Why is it that I get asked to do some service that's inconvenient, there's nothing in it for me, and I like I kind of drag my feet at first, and then I come home thinking that's the best thing I did all month? Because I, I think we act out what we believe before we understand what we believe. And so our actions tell us who we are in some ways. And so when we uh, – just a – an anecdote to that, my my parents, when I was 15, sent me to a summer camp. It was called Camp Jack Hazard up in the Sierra Nevadas to work as the kitchen crew, right? So I had to go all summer long. I'm 15 years old, Jess, right? This is back in the flipped up collar days, right? In the 80s. And I was going to give my entire summer to washing dishes and preparing food at camp. It was about eight to 10 hours of work, eight to 12 hours of work every day. And I thought that was a prison sentence. And it turned out I spent the next five years up at camp. It was the best experience of my life. And within a couple of days, it was the work. You forget that it's work. And so I, I think that, sure. What, what was the camp? It was called Camp Jack Hazard. Camp Jack Hazard, where everybody rocks out, rocks out. <laughs> um, it's up in up 108, up, up in the Sierra Nevadas in California. It was a YMCA summer camp, and but it, it, I think that's I think that's a similar. It's it's that's just an example that happened to me as a young child, young young kid, where I didn't know that serving others was actually a core value inside of me, and so once I started living that. I, and I don't think I even ever figured all of that out. Maybe until 15 years later. That why did why was that so meaningful? It's because I was doing something meaningful for others. So I don't. I, I we have to act, and our actions tell us who we are. And I think it's the I think it's the divine makers, subtle the the feelings we get from that later, right? That's the 
that's the that's the feedback mechanism that makes us go do continue to do things that we you know that 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 don't seem comfortable that seem hard that seem effortful but i don't know that i guess that's my my psychoanalysis of it i love it yeah. i'll call you back we can get psychoanalyze again next week so um, <laughs> So it actually leads me into my next thought, and it's kind of something I was thinking about as we were ending part one. Some of like the moral quandaries of the intelligence community and the special operations community. And uh, on the intelligence side, I want to I want to talk about you know undercover operations or low vis operations and source development and stuff. And and I think about you know these these tough things where you're like, man, to do what's right for certain people in my life. I have to do something that's really tough for somebody else, you know, that if they were the only person yeah. in, in consideration, I probably wouldn't do, you know, and like right, right. how to not lose your soul in those tough, in those tough situations. Like I'll give you a, you know, a less intense version of it, but like at child rescue association, you know, we've got, I, I really distinctly remember a conversation with a former intelligence officer who's helped us out over the years. And we had, we had something going on. And he, he had a real serious talk with me about like, hey, I know we don't really believe in lying and we don't want to lie to people. And I don't think it would be safe to reveal who we are and what's going on. And, and you know, like, I think, you know, I think we just got to chalk this one up to need to know information. And I know it's not your standard operating procedure. And I know that's not what we would prefer to do. And I just don't think we'd be, be being responsible to our family and, and other folks if we were to, to be completely upfront about some of this stuff. And it was different because it was no longer a hypothetical conversation. It was a real conversation for me, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, Brian, when you think about this this quandary of doing what's right, knowing that it may be, like, knowing that it's going to for someone and be, but you still feel responsible needing to make that choice, or it potentially for someone, and yet you wouldn't be responsible to not do it. Do you have any thoughts about navigating that in the intelligence world? Let me start with like the, the kind of like the core military leader of, of men and women in combat where you're sending your own people into harm's way and then segue that into asking somebody to betray their country. That I think what we have to be able to do is to – this is like a professional nirvana that I doubt very many people ever achieve, but it's be able to look at our, our folks and believe as we, as we order them to do something very dangerous – and look at them and say it with utter conviction and, and belief in what we're doing is right and that you believe that we're strong enough to do this scary thing. And then the moment you give that order and they begin to execute, I've always thought it's like just falling to your knees and praying to God for forgiveness for sending such admirable people into harm's way and knowing the cost to the families to the, uh, the fallen that are going to come from that operation. And you know those people, and you're going to have to look at them. And you, like if we don't feel both, then we, we become sociopathic in our, our operations, then our decisions, they can't be trusted as a human being, right? They become, they become dark. And so the, 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 the quandary in the intelligence community, whether that is exploiting, here use that word again, whether it's from signals intelligence, which is usually a little more distance or the human interaction, we're asking people that you've developed a relationship with, unless you're like, you begin to care about those people and you're asking them to, to betray themselves in some way and to not be not to wrestle with that is one, I think it's a prescription for long-term mental health, right? Long-term PTS, because we have to confront the dichotomy that we are, you know, in some ways you, the, 
the ends justify the means, right? I mean, there's some truth to that. And, but that doesn't mean it is, it's not painful. And if we don't address and confront that pain, we're going to hide it. And it's, and, and it's, I guess, sublimated, right? You squeeze a balloon, it comes out in another way. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's fascinating to me. I, I think about some folks, you know, you and I know each other from through the Arbinger Institute and, and all the great work that they do about self-deception and personal responsibility. And I remember teaching some guys from the defense language, sorry, the De- defense intelligence agency and, and some of the, you know, army intelligence security command and having this conversation where after reading the same kind of books that you and I have read so many of, right. They said to me that they felt like it, it gave them a new approach of thinking of like, man, I've been told to objectify my sources my whole career. And I actually don't think I believe that anymore, where they were telling me that they feel like it was okay to, it was okay to relate them at a human level and just take the, you know, take that ultimate responsibility that what I'm doing is a hard action. And I don't have to, like, I can still love them and do something that's hard here, you know? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. You know, as as simple, I remember guys saying like, man, I really, I just, you know, you, like you said, you, you really develop these relationships and you love these guys. And he says like, you want to tell him your real name. You want to tell him about your real family. You want to, you know, right, there's all these right, things. Right, right, and right, 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 right. Yet I wouldn't be being responsible if I did, you know? Right. And yeah. and navigating yeah. that line and and doing what's morally right, even if it's painful and hard and it's tough. It's an underappreciated yeah. challenge that I think your community goes through that not everyone I, I think I think that they, there's two sides. Either the there's oversimplification that of course anything done while wearing a uniform must have been fine. And then there's the right, right. the other extreme. Anything done by someone like that must have been evil and morally corrupt. And the truth right, is way right, in right. the middle, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that yeah, it it takes it takes some mature reflection, right? I think to 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 navigate that. And it's not that I I, I really there's no prescription for for every that'll 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 help everybody. But I do think that the cost of not confronting the reality of what we're doing will will well we've seen it we we do say that you know the scar tissue of war broken marriages substance abuse right the suicide all that and i think that that is mostly right from not confronting and being honest with the really difficult choices that we had to make and you know and and at the same time like i think you know in my teenage years pro snowboarders were my heroes okay and then right, 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 in, right. in my 20s, it was like the richest business guy you've ever heard of. The, those guys were my heroes, right? And right, successful right, entrepreneurs, right, 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 and, they, right. and they still are in certain ways. And and yet in these, you know, in the years, at least that you and I have known each other, for me, so often the people I've developed the most respect for is folks who've come out of those communities that you spent your career in. And yeah. the, those guys that take ultimate responsibility and like they live a life of self-sacrifice and things like that. You know, there's, there's such examples of, there's such examples worth emulating in my life from the guys that do ask themselves those hard questions and are willing to do the hard right thing instead of the easy wrong thing. And anyways, do you you have any reflections on that or any thoughts about that? A lot, actually, because I think I shared with you what, what I, who I thought my heroes were when I was younger and, and who I see now, you know, so the degree of, of the, the, the trappings of success, whatever they may be, right, whether it's an athletic or a professional domain, pale um, in comparison to the people that are, that are willing to live 
authentically and confront confront difficulty in their own lives. And I and I think it's like a, a I've thought about this actually. I've thought about this when I was running the stairs. This is a while ago, and I was like, "Why am I doing this?" Right? Like, why am I doing? Because it's it's hard, right? And and I was trying to figure out to myself, like, why do why do we why are we supposed to get strong? And I think that's in you know physically and 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 emotionally and, and spiritually is that we get strong so that we can protect the vulnerable, right? Like that's 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 it, right? And whether it's to to lead them to to protect them to to encourage, enable, model, be a model for for others, but it's a it's generally not not always the person that makes a you know full bird or or a general rank. It, it's not almost none of those are my heroes anymore. My heroes are the ones that have confronted the things that they've done in their lives and have fought to keep their family, have fought to 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 keep their to come to peace with themselves for for the things that they've done, and they've 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 fought to keep their soldiers that have been struggling alive. You know, I think maybe a final a final question here for me is. Thinking about leaders and leadership examples and, and just good, high quality human beings, you know, was there anybody like, let's talk about Task Force Dagger for a minute. Was there anybody there that you looked up to? Is there anybody there that is a high quality human that had an effect on you? I, I, I'm some kind of, of my you immediate on the spot leadership. Here. Yeah. 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 Some of my, it's funny. I, I had the, I had the highest compliment paid to me. I was a captain when I was there doing a major's job. And when I was leaving, I was ripping out the, the J2 or the G2 that we were, the, the division. And it was our like higher boss said to had me and another major who was my replacement. He said, Hey, Dave, everybody here at division knew that Brian was in command all year. Meaning I was the, the battalion commander. And I almost wept just like he's like we all knew he was in he was in command so you might want to listen to him and so the reason i paused when you said that is because i felt like i carried that organization that's a little unfair to my to my to battalion commander but, but but that's how i felt anyways and i think that's how others saw it but i did see the the best examples of leadership i came from a good friend of mine tim who was a first sergeant who went out on every resupply to see his men. And another a guy who was a peer of mine, who's my roommate, a guy named Matt, who was a company commander and was out doing command visits all the time. And it was like really this, it really did, it was a selfless, they, they were selfless. And they- Because they, they, they didn't have to. to. Serve their, they didn't have to. And they went out to to serve and they, you know, they, they there was no executive privilege, right? And in, in what they did, they got, I was thinking about, thinking about writing a book, right? And here's my quote title I'm thinking is a, a warm man doesn't know how a cold man feels, right? So if you want to lead, you better get cold first. And and those are the guys that demonstrated that. They they were as cold as any of their men were always. So that's true leadership in my opinion. I can't think of a better way to end the episode. I think that's the end. <laughs> I think you just said the end right there. Um, uh, thanks. Well, yeah. listen, this has been great. I appreciate making time. Yeah, it has. I, uh, I thought Thank about you. having you on the show yeah. many times and I'm glad this worked out. Hopefully everybody uh, can go sign up for the event and, and help. I especially like Man. this helping senior cats and dogs, helping senior citizens. I, I'm, it's so I'm cool. Yeah, this now. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Jess. It's, it's, it's cool. And it's, and it's such a delight, right? To, to enable that, it it really is. People will say a lot, you know, and you probably feel this way. I guess anybody that's really loving what they do could say, "Oh, what you, you're helping, you know, animals." 
good for you. And it's like, good for us. Like we're living our dream. We're doing what means something to us. Like we're the lucky ones. Right. And uh, yeah, we just, we're just, we're blessed. So, and, and, and Jess, actually you're having you, the friendship that we've developed is, is an example, I guess, of that blessing, right? Uh, maybe I'm doing something right. If, if Jess and I can still stay friends. So uh, <laughs> I love it, man. Happy to call you a friend and yeah. thanks again. Yeah. You, yeah. Thank you, man. And we'll, we'll chat again. Okay. Bye everyone.